Angie's List is now Angie, the nation's largest home services marketplace. And Angie is here to help homeowners get all their jobs done well. Angie has helped over 150 million homeowners care for their homes. Whatever your home project, big or small, indoor or outdoor, come to Angie to connect with and hire skilled professionals to get the job done well. My son needed a major yard cleanup at his new home. We went straight to the Angie website and found a bunch of local, reliable, and affordable pros to handle the job, and one did pronto. Angie can help you find the best price for your project. Angie lets you request and compare quotes from multiple pros in just a few taps or book services at an upfront price based on local data. Angie has cost guides that tell you what others have paid for similar projects, both nationally and in your area. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I.com or download the app today. The app and website are free to use. Ladies, hello, gentlemen. This is the Victor Davis Hanson Show. I'm Jack Fowler. I'm the host, lucky man, Victor Davis Hanson. He's the star and the namesake. He is the Martin and Ely Anderson Senior Fellow at the Hoover Institution and the Wayne and Marsha Buskey Distinguished Fellow in History at Hillsdale College. He has a website, The Blade of Perseus. The web address is victorhanson.com. We'll talk about that towards the end of the show. I should be Subscribing as ever, Victor, the madness of our current times is always something pretty dang important to talk about. I guess it would be good to begin the show um, by getting your thoughts on what I, I found and I think you find to be a very important uh, piece published on Powerline that that shows why um, Israel was was kind of uh, I um eyeless or you know blinded um about the forthcoming then forthcoming terrorist attacks and the and the the United States policies are have much to do with that so let's uh, get your thoughts on that Victor and we'll do that right after these important messages can't pay the IRS haven't filed in a while receiving threatening letters yeah it's about to get worse. The IRS is hiring an army of agents targeting hardworking Americans like you. You need warriors on your side. You need Tax Network USA. Tax Network USA has brilliant strategies to solve your IRS problems quickly and in your favor. For instance, they've discovered a limited time special offer that the IRS is willing to waive $1 billion in penalties. Find out if you qualify before it's too late. Never call the IRS alone. Let Tax Network USA attorneys handle it. They have preferred direct lines to the IRS. They know which agents to work with and which to avoid. They've resolved over $1 billion in tax debts and offer a best-in-class guarantee. Schedule your free consultation now. Call 1-800-245-6000. That's 1-800-245-6000 or... Visit TNUSA.com slash Victor. TNUSA.com slash Victor. 
Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Byteclear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Byteclear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. We're back with the Victor Davis Hanson show. So, uh, Victor, I know Powerline is... Uh, we, we talked about it on the last podcast we recorded, and uh, it's the website you turn to first thing in the morning to see what's going on, get the analyses of, of various folks. And Scott Johnson, I love Scott, just uh, just one of the sweetest men uh, on the planet. He he has put up a piece. It's called Eyeless in Gaza, and it's uh, from uh, Tony Abadran, who's a research fellow for the Foundation for the Defense of Democracies. Great institution, by the way. And um, the long story, or the short, is that U.S. policy from, I think, the Bush administration and throughout put an emphasis into Lebanon and trying to restore Lebanese civil society somehow. I think kind of, these things prove to be a pipe dream when we try to do these efforts over abroad. Uh, but part of the ramifications of these efforts were to expose mil, uh, um, intelligence networks to Hamas and Hezbollah and other enemies of, of course, the United States, but particularly of Israel. And it diverted um, uh, Israel's own se- security network within that country, diverted is the wrong word, blinded them. And we're culpable, it seems, Victor, in part for uh, what transpired from from you know uh, from disempowering Israelis' intelligence community. I don't know, Victor. What what are your thoughts on this? And and well, it goes back. It goes back. Part? It goes back to 1983 when they blew up our embassy and they killed what 243 Marines a few months later. Hezbollah did that. They killed, I don't know, dozens of Jews in Argentina. Didn't they blow up a bus of Israeli tourists somewhere in the Middle East? So they've been killing people. And our policy has been, can we do something to the Lebanese government to marginalize Hezbollah, which basically runs runs Lebanon through its surrogates and Iranian money? And so we've been giving them money for their armed forces and their intelligence. And yet the more money we give them and empower them, the more Hezbollah, they get afraid of Hezbollah. So they're integrated or embedded within Hezbollah. So the net result is the money that we're going to firm up the Lebanese government, which is synonymous now with Hezbollah is not only helping them, but tipping them off of what we're in, you know, the intelligence that is found makes its way to Hezbollah and hurts Israel. Kind of like the, I think we've given what, I don't know how many millions of dollars or billions of dollars we've given into Afghanistan after we left, several. 
And that is the idea that we have to help the humanitarian organizations that we fostered while we were there for 20 years. And the Taliban would let the money get in there because then it would help in general. And then they just take it. It's kind of like the fuel that goes into Gaza. And we know now that we, they've intercepted telephone communications the Israelis have where Hamas gets the fuel and then they store it because that promotes all of the electricity and transportation and energy in this tunnel city below. Okay, so it it's the United States again being naive and somebody just paid a huge, for me it was huge, income tax estimate. I ask myself, why do all of us that are listening, why do we have to pay for this? Why do we have to give money to these incompetents in the State Department and then they fund a gender studies program at Kabul? Or they build a billion-dollar embassy and give it away to the Taliban, or even the Pentagon. You know, fifty billion dollars in equipment. Nobody ever, nobody's ever accountable. Who, who did this, Jack? Who were the people, the names, the rank that thought it was a good idea to pour millions of dollars into the intelligence apparatus of the Lebanese government that empowered Hezbollah? And it's the same people who came in with Biden and decided they wanted to restore money to the PA and also to Hamas. And they never put their imprints on it. They never have, they never take any fall. They never, and it's, it's awful. And there's also another thing about it is once you start doing that, that puts pressure on the Israelis. And one of the reasons that this Gaza surprise attack worked so well was the Israelis were reacting to the new administration. And the last thing they wanted to do was to suggest to the Biden administration that two-state solution was not viable and you couldn't work with Gaza. So they said, yeah, 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 we're going to have guest workers. They're going to come in just like you say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They'll work and they'll make, you know, five times what they make in Gaza and they're going to support all these Gazans and then they'll be essential and, and they won't be able to cut them off. And then We'll kind of maybe the administration's right. We'll show them that we that we're working with the Hamas and then we'll play them off. But we'll play them off against the PA and back and forth. And and, you know, we wanted the Abrams Accords and then Biden said he wouldn't get credit for it. So he canceled it. And now he wants to reboot Jared Kushner's thing and put his f fingerprints and get Kushner out of the give him no credit. And now they're doing it. And so we'll go along with it, too. And that's what happens. The Israelis are in a, a fix because they're so dependent on American munitions that they that they have to react to this this typical liberal left-wing administration that comes in that, that not really interested in the security of Israel as in other administrations were. Well, it's a bad idea and there's no accountability. We also have, Victor, by the way, just I, I noticed yesterday's Wall Street Journal, Peggy Noonan, I know you've been kind of critical of her in the past, so big headline about Netanyahu needs to go and this this pressure to to kneecap the president of that country at this time is uh along with the our, our state department's calls for pauses etc not the, I don't think there's any call for ceasefire yet per se but yeah, anyway, what, as, as we're talking I don't understand today, that Jack I don't understand that these people told us from 2015 to 2020, that Russia was interfering and colluding in our election process. And this was a mortal sin when they weren't. 
and they had bank pain. They were, you know, the Axis Bank was communicating with Trump Towers and they created a fake lake t- laptop and they called it Hunters because they were trying to get Biden to lose and all of this. That's what we were told. You don't do that. And now they're openly advocating interfering, as Clinton did, with Israeli internal politics. It's it's like this, I, you know, when we were in college or high school, it was always the American colonialist imperialist or they got rid of Diem in Vietnam or they went down and staged a coup in Puerto Rico or the Dominican Trujillo or whoever he was. And we interfered in Cuba with Batista and we don't do that. But again, when it's the Jews and Israel, it's OK. It's OK to the extent that Peggy Noonan and Thomas Friedman brag about it. We've got to get rid of who Who are we to get rid of Netanyahu? Who He's elected. He's elected by the people of Israel. We have no right to go in there and try to manipulate their election process, of which we say that we would never allow here in the United States. And why are they doing this? Because they feel that right now Israel was caught on guard. And so Bibi's armor-plated reputation of deterrence has been challenged, and he's therefore perceived as weak both at home, given the civil dissension over the Supreme Court matter. But in our eyes, they feel that they can pressure him or weaken him or get rid of him. And the Israelis are mad at him and they will go for that. They also understand that if Netanyahu is to survive politically after this kind of Yom Kippur surprise that remember that kind of got rid of eventually Golda Meir because the man at the top or the woman at the top always takes responsibility. And Netanyahu is a bright guy. He understands that. So he is going to show the, the Israeli people. We have a coalition government, our intelligence, the Mossad, the IDF, me, everybody was responsible. We're not going to point fingers, even though they're starting to do it, but just watch me. Just watch me. I am going to go in there and I'm going to destroy Hamas no matter what. And I'm going to avenge this atrocity and I'm going to defeat them. And the United States said, well, we don't quite sign on to that. And he's got to do that to restore his reputation. And he probably will do it. So he will be blamed as the top guy for the incursion of October 7, I shouldn't say that euphemism, that massacre, but he will also be given credit as the man at the top who destroyed Hamas. So we can't let that happen. So we're going to pause. We want ceasefire and we want to interfere. Right. And that's what they're doing. And it's it's so weird about these people. They, they feel just when you get angry about people calling us you know, imperialist, colonialist, interfering, then they do it. And they say they can do it because it's Israel. It's it's really amazing. And I don't know. I don't I don't there's no consequence to it. And so why don't you just let Israel take care of Hamas? 
the Saudis want them to do it. The Egyptians want them to do it. The Kuwaitis want them to do it. The Jordanians want them to do it. Everybody wants to do it. So don't get in the Orwellian situation where when the Israelis are trying to avenge people who incidentally killed 30 Americans and probably have at least 12 Americans hostage, which we don't talk about. Why wouldn't you want to help the people who are avenging the American dead and trying to get force Hamas to give them back and not do things that aid the people who killed the Americans and have the Americans hostage? It's not that difficult. Victor, we're we're going to um, stay in, in the Middle East and Hezbollah and talk about Russia's morphing role. Maybe it's not morphing. Maybe it is. But in this uh, emerging conflict, in part because the, the relationship that Russia and Israel had seemed to be generally positive. And we'll get your thoughts, Victor, as a um, military historian and analyst of, of these uh, foreign policy events. We'll get your thoughts on that right after uh, this important message. <sighs> the comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car selling command center. Thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. We're back with the Victor Davis Hanson Show. So, Victor, to collapse some headlines uh, into one, it seems like uh, the broad, and it could be it could be too overly broad. Russia to fund Hezbollah. That's maybe the Wagner Group instead of quote unquote Russia. But um, there seems to be trouble afoot here with Russia and its ally, and not call it an ally, but not an enemy, Israel. What What are your thoughts of these uh, as well, things emerge? When the Ukraine war broke out February 24th of 2022, everybody condemned it. We all did. We did it on this podcast, and we want, wanted the Ukrainians to expel the Russians to where they had started on February 24th. And of course, the agendas we've sp- spoken about expanded to include, they, it was going to be iffy if they had the ability to get them back to where they were on February 24th. But suddenly, before they had done that, and they have not done that yet, people were on to Moscow. You have to hit places in Russia so they get out of the Crimea and Donbass, even though Barack Obama never said that they were going to get out of those areas, and Donald Trump never did, and Joe Biden never did. But nevertheless, there were ramifications about this. Like, you know, the old rule, Kissinger, we were putting Russia friendlier to China than it is to us. 
and China familiar to Russia than it is to us. There was no morning triangulation. In fact, Jack, I don't know if you saw that Hamas official, but he was bragging the other day that the new China, Russia, Iranian, North Korea axis had given them North Korea and North Korea is irrational and it has nuclear weapons. So he was basically saying North Korea is going to hit the United States. So we're creating this thing. Okay. And then everybody wanted people to condemn Russia and the Israelis did. Netanyahu did. But then it was, he didn't do it enough. Well, Hezbollah's activity is constant probing and attacking along the northern border. So Israelis respond. But the Russians are the de facto enforcers since John Kerry, after a 40-year hiatus, invited them back, remember that, into the Middle East. They'll help enforce the WMD red line that doesn't exist, that Obama said. If they, you know, if I see them moving around, uh, that, that's a red line. And they moved around. And, oh, my God, they're going to ask me to actually back up my soaring rhetoric. And I can't do it. So I'll have J John Kerry invite the Russians in. And that's what they did. And so they're there. And so when the Israeli pilots have to go in there and stop the shelling, they meet Russian pilots. And Putin and Netanyahu had worked out a relationship. And they were allowed to respond, which was pretty incredible, given Hezbollah's close ties to the Assad government, which Russia was propping up. And also, there is a long history of Ukrainian anti-Semitism. And if anybody wants to look at the participation of the Ukrainian elements from June 22nd, 1941, until the liberation in late 1944, you will see that there were a lot of Ukrainians that acted on their anti-Semitism. Why do I mention that? Because there, it would be, given current and past events, it would be natural for an Israeli prime minister to be a little skeptical about cutting off the Russians and just giving wholehearted support for Ukraine. And they gave support for Ukraine, Israel did. But he was attacked. And so now we see that that relationship has been destroyed the Israeli-Russians. So the Wagner group is, thinks how, Putin's thinking, how can we really hurt Israel and teach them the wages of being with America? And how can we, well, I tell you what we'll do. They only have one leverage over Hezbollah when they rock it. And that's to have the idea fly in there and hit these places. What if we gave them a sophisticated Russian anti-missile system? But we'll say the Wagner group did it. So, you know, we'll just say, you know, we don't know where the Wagner group is. I guess they gave you this system, Hezbollah. Sorry, Israel. I, I, they just freelance. That's what they're doing. And the idea is they're trying to send a message to the West that if you continue to give HIMARS and all these sophisticated weapons to Ukraine, we have ways of retaliating to you with your uh, clients, and that's what's happening. I'm not getting into whether it's right and all of this and that, but it's expected and logical. And the sooner that war ends, and I might may add that now Zelensky is having a problem getting people to 
fight on the offensives over the spring offensive and the summer offensive that we heard everybody say was going to go on to Moscow. It never did right. cost them a lot of money. We've got up, we're way over 600,000 casualties on both sides, probably seven or 800. And the problem is not just, you know, we didn't give them enough Abrams tanks. We didn't give them enough F-16s. We didn't give them enough artillery. No, they don't have enough people. They've lost a quarter of their population as refugees, and they've probably lost 300,000 casualties, and they, they don't have the wherewithal, the manpower. And we were, I, I had a uh, chair of the Military History Working Group at, at Hoover, and we had a distinguished Ukrainian American analyst who said when people were, and very sophisticated scholars were there, and people in the military of the highest echelons in rank. And it was very shocking what he said, Jack. He said, well, we can give them all the weapons we want, but ultimately it's a manpower. It's a manpower question. They are losing bleeding population with refugees. They were having people trying to get out of military service, and they are the victims of Russian calculus. And Russian calculus is we kill one, they kill two, and we have four times the population, so we win. And that's what they're doing. And so... I guess what I'm saying, Jack, is the ripples of that war are everywhere and they are affecting the Middle East. And I don't know how effective a Russian anti-aircraft sophisticated missile system is, would be in stopping IDF retaliation if we get into a war, they get into a war, we get into a war with Hezbollah, but it will definitely make it more difficult. Yeah. None of this would be happening, but for the man... Who is the president of the United States also, well, Victor? So. Thing is that um, it's very it, it's very ironic that the man who came in and they warned him, if you move that embassy, you're going to blow up the Middle East to Jerusalem. If you tell them the Israelis can do that. If you say the Golan Heights are not going back to Syria, you're going to blow up the Middle East. If you cut off the money through the UN Refugee Commission to Hamas and the PA, you're going to blow up the Middle East. If you kill Soleimani, who's been killing Americans for 20 years, you're going to blow up the Middle East. If you lift those sanctions, uh, if you sanction, excuse me, all oil exports, you're going to deprive Iran of 50 to $100 billion. You're going to blow up the Middle East. And he did all of that. And you know what? It, it was not blown up. Don't believe Victor. Believe Jake Sullivan, who right. went over there and said right before the war, there's nothing wrong. It's all pretty. And what he was basically saying is, we've done all, our, all we can to blow up this very calm Middle East. And right now it hasn't blown up yet. And I think it's our credit. What he didn't understand was it was the fumes of the Trump administration. And he'd already laid the eggs that were going to blow up. And so that's what they did. They blew up the Middle East by doing exactly the opposite of Trump. And the Abrams Accord, they didn't want nothing to do with it. They thought that they hated the Saudis. Saw, uh, remember, Biden campaigned after the Khashoggi murder that he was not going to have anything to do with Saudi Arabia. It was a, And everybody was saying, wait a minute. Is it corrupt? Is it theocratic? Yes, but it likes the United States for rather than China or Russia and this limited opportunity world, that is somebody we can work with. And yes, they had people that did 9-11, but right now, 
given all the alternatives, Hamas, Hezbollah, Iran, Syria, what do you want? And so all you had to do was have a situation where they could have normalization with Israel. And because it was Trump and Jared Kushner, they wanted nothing to do with it. And they squashed it. And now what are they doing? They were desperately trying to reboot it under their auspices. And the same thing with the border. They blew up everything that the Trump administration had done that was successful. And now they're just they're even building a wall. Not one foot, Jack, will a wall be built under my administration. Not one foot. And now they're trying to build. So I think the Middle East could be if we get through this, it could be returned uh, to where it was if you had a different president and a different Senate. But, you know, Trump's tweets apparently were more important than the Middle East. And so. A lot of people who knew better said, you know what, not in my name. I'm not going to vote for somebody who's called Stormy Daniels horse face. Well, Victor, you talked about uh, Obama before. We're going to get to your, some other thoughts on him from you in a minute or two. But first, I'd like to take a minute to welcome back our sponsor, Carty and Company. Carty and Company is a family operated and nationally recognized fixed income investment firm with more than 50 years of experience. If you want control of your financial destination and decisions, but also want an experienced and knowledgeable person's guidance based on your risk tolerance and financial objectives, visit cartico.com. That's C-A-R-T-Y-C-O.com. Generally for investments of $5,000 and up. Find the investment that's right for you by visiting Cartico.com. Again, that's C-A-R-T-Y-C-O.com. And we thank Carty and Company uh, for sponsoring the Victor Davis Hanson Show. So, Victor, uh, we've um, made mention in recent podcasts of your relatively new activity of once or twice a week uh, engaging on uh, Twitter, now known as X with some long uh, original thoughts and you have one uh, from, I think it's just, it's, it's today or yesterday. It's titled Joe, the plumber redux Obama and the new more inclusive capitalism. I know he, I know Barack Obama lights your rockets, Victor. I mean, he lights everyone's rockets, this, this character, but uh, Hey, he's got his right. He's got his mansions, and now he's going to dictate. What yes, he's having the. the he's bulldozed a very beautiful area of Chicago against community objections, and have his Obama Foundation. But before the groundbreak, I mean, before it's dedicated, he's going to have an Obama Foundation democracy forum, Jack. And I just wrote it down. He says that uh, he's going to call for a new economic framework that addresses inequality and prepares citizens for the coming changes, coming changes, I guess that we're in for it, in how we live and work that reaches, listen to this, a higher purpose beyond material consumption. And he's called the Biden administration his third term, Remember, he also said, I think it was in December of 2020. Remember, he gave that 
interview, and I, I jotted that down when he said, if I could make an arrangement where I had a stand-in, a front man, a front woman, and they had an earpiece in, and I was just in my basement in my sweats, he works out everybody, looking through the stuff, then I could sort of deliver the lines, but someone else was doing all the talking and ceremony. Remember, by the way, he said that he was lazy. He said his worst fault was laziness. Then I'd be fine with that because I found the work fascinating. So that's what he is doing. He just admitted in December when he backed Biden, he knew Biden was going to get elected. He Remember he had earlier said, Joe, Joe, remember he said, Joe Biden to Joe Biden? He said, Joe, you don't have to do this. And I think. Jack, we all talked about that at the time that Obama had said basically to Biden, you're, you're non-composmentes, you shouldn't do this. But now he's happy that he did because he, he fulfilled exactly the script. And by the way, he didn't say that about having an earpiece and giving them the ideas and writing the script and all that until Biden was elected. So he knew all along what he was doing. Uh, my point in that tweet was... When he says that he's going to give more inclusivity and equity, I mean, he, Biden's already raised taxes. If you're in a blue state and you're paying, well, the top rate goes up to 13.3 in California, but you do your property taxes, your payroll, Social Security taxes, your income tax, state, your federal income tax, your Obamacare tax, your gasoline tax, you're paying way over 50% of your income. So when he says he wants a new, more inclusive capitalism, I guess the $1.7 trillion that we're spreading around that we don't have every year through the annual deficit isn't enough. The $34 trillion in annual, uh, excuse me, aggregate debt isn't enough. The, I just filled up, Jack, it was five sixty in gasoline wasn't enough. The 7% interest rates that he that we got wasn't enough. Uh, and then when he talks about material consumption, as I pointed out, number four, the latest one was the Hawaii Beachfront Villa. Remember that, Jack? It's right on the beach. And he, he bought it for $8.5 million in right. 2000. I think it was 15, the property. And it probably put another eight in it. And that was, you know, almost a decade ago. So that thing is probably worth 40 or $50 million. And then that was only number four. Number three was that 30-acre multi-million dollar. Was that 12 million or 10? I know that a lot of people criticize the low assessment. I mean, they're going after Trump for that, but Mar-a-Lago really is worth a lot more than they said it was. But right. Obama said that uh, that he got that, I think, either for 12 or 14 million people at the time said it was worth a lot more than that. It was a sweetheart sale, 30 acres. Martha Vineyard Estate. I think he has 2,000 gallons in various tanks of propane, too, that uh, hot gas. And then he's got the Calorama. I think he paid, what, eight and a half or nine for that million. And then he's got his Chicago home. He's got four mansions, estates, villa, whatever you want to call them. And he says that we have to limit our material consumption. I guess he's going to sell one of those. That's what he means. Yeah. And then he said... Uh, he wants this more inclusive capitalism. 
So I was looking at that. Did you know that Netflix was worth? They don't. They never disclosed how much it was worth. It was worth somewhere between fifty and a hundred million dollars for content. They provide the content. He narrates a few documentaries. Wham. And then I think the two memoirs, and then he wrote a, their book deal is fifty million. And Michelle went over to Germany. I think she got seven hundred. Right, the equivalent euros, seven hundred and forty. I did the math. Up, she was. She said she talked an hour. It's twelve over twelve thousand dollars a minute. That doesn't seem to me like it's much equity. And if you don't think you think I'm crazy, that she was supposed to, I suppose, talk on the di. The DEI Trinity. But I've noticed a weird thing, Jack, that the DEI Trinity has morphed into a duality. It's no longer diversity, equity, and inclusion. Michelle said she was going to get $12,000 a minute to talk on diversity and inclusion, but not equity. I suppose that's kind of hard to talk about. You're going equity, remember, is the new left. It's an old word that they have rebranded and adopted for an equality of result. Right. It's not equality. It's equity. It means we're all going to be the same on the back end. And I don't know how you do that when you get $12,000 a minute, but you surely can't talk about equity. And so this third term uh, was what I was trying to point out. He wasn't happy given what he gave us. Uh, in those eight years. And if you look at the Middle East, it's in the news now. He gave us the Shia Crescent creative tension. He gave us the Iran deal. He gave us Robert Malley first. He gave us the massive uh, aid to uh, Hamas and the PA. He was the one that resisted calling the Houthis terrorists. I mean, Obama started it all. And then Biden dash Obama continued that. And that's why he's bragging that he can phone it in without having to do the hard work of the, you know, glad handling and flying to funerals or whatever they do. He doesn't want to do that. And he said so. But uh, anytime someone who's very wealthy on the left talks about equity and inclusion, diversity, what they really mean is I'm guilty because I am the object of my own hatred. And therefore, to square that circle, I'm going to project my guilt onto other people. But in such a way where you're not going to touch my material consumption or my non-inclusive capitalism. Well, Victor, he's the gift that keeps on giving. He's really something else. You're absolutely right. He's, he's very popular. She's the most popular woman in America, but they did a lot of damage this country. And we should listen to what they say. When he said, Trayvon was this child looks like the kid I never had. And, my grandmother is a racist and she panics when she sees a black man. And we know the police, uh, the beer summit, what they did, he trashed them. And then he said, uh, Recep Erdogan is my conduit to the Middle East. He's the person I go to to know what's going on. We backed Mohammed Morsi in Egypt, the Muslim Brotherhood guy. So we, we know what he did. And he he's the one that blew up the Middle East. Yeah. And, uh, By the way, headline today: Aragon cuts ties with Netanyahu. So thanks, uh, Barack. You know, yeah, he he loved Erdogan. Erdogan didn't particularly like him, but he fawned all over. He that's where I think the apologies tour started in Turkey. Yeah. I mean, he went over there to a guy whose government had massacred over a million Armenians, 
and I'm sorry to the Armenian community if I have the the number wrong, it's probably closer to a million and a half in the two uh, separate but continued uh, Holocaust. Remember what Hitler said, nobody's going to remember the the Armenians. But after he did that, uh, Erdogan said in commentary of the current one in Azerbaijan, where, by the way, they ethnically cleanse. He's talking about refugees right now. When Turkish-speaking allies of him have ethnically cleansed over 100,000 Armenians and sent them back into Christian Armenia, and he's giving lectures about refugees in the Middle East and Gaza. This guy is probably the most, what's the word? Not just unbelievable. Yeah, it's a really bad, evil person there is. And he's dangerous. And every time there's a crisis, he says things that are chilling when he gets in a problem with Cyprus over oil or Greece over overflights. He says that Greeks are going to wake up one morning and they're going to see things coming from Turkey, missiles into Athens. He said the same thing about Israel the other day. They're going to wake up and see things coming down on the sky. I'm going to send troops to Gaza. Uh, we don't approve of the United States taking nuclear weapons out of Isler Air Force Base, meaning when we had a coup, uh, they tried to remove me. I tried to shut that base down and make sure those weapons are not quite 100% American property. He's a very dangerous person. He tried to stop Sweden coming into the NATO. And uh, he goes over to Europe and tries to rally Islamic expatriates to cause problems for the European government. He wanted to be in the EU. He shouldn't be in NATO. The problem is we don't have a way to get people out of NATO. We have a, a, a charter that tells you how you can get them in, but it doesn't talk too much about how to get them out. And everybody's attitude is, we would never let this SOB in again. There's no way in the world we would let undemocratic Islamicist, anti-American, anti-Western Turkey into NATO. But he's in. Yes. And he's got the second biggest military. So what do we do about it? And we need the Bosphorus open and the Dardanelles. And he's he's on the bridge between Europe and Asia. We hear all that. Well, Obama's friend... As a general rule, anybody that Obama appeased, and there were legions of them, then interpret that magnanimity, as I've often said, as weakness. And they had utter contempt for us. And that's why Putin went into the Donbass, and that's why he went into Crimea. Just go back and read that hot mic, Seoul, I think it was Seoul, South Korea, March 2011. Said to Medvedev, just tell Vladimir I'll be flexible in missile defense. This is my last election. If he gives me space, in other words, don't invade why I'm in the election cycle, and I'll get rid of missile defense and hurt the national security of the United States for my own particular political agenda. But once I'm elected, uh, you'll have no more missile defense, and then you know things happen if you go into Ukraine and Crimea. Yeah. Well, his big foreign policy aide uh, reign was supposed to be Joe Biden, and we've got to talk about uh, uh, Biden and the and the new uh, scandal revelations that have come out this past week, Victor. But before that, before that, uh, we need to talk to our listeners, especially those who may think that they're too busy with holiday plans to cook, but they 
want to make sure they're eating well. So with Factor, dear listeners, you can skip the extra trip to the grocery store and the chopping, prepping, and cleaning up too while you're still getting the flavor and nutritional quality you need. Factor's fresh, never frozen meals are ready in just two minutes. So all you have to do is heat and enjoy. For our listeners, listeners of the Victor Davis Hansen Show, Factor is giving you 50% off. So head to factormeals.com slash Victor50, that's V-I-C-T-O-R-5-0, and use the code Victor50 to get 50% off. Factor is America's number one ready-to-eat meal delivery service and can help you fuel up fast for breakfast, lunch, and dinner with chef-prepared, dietitian-approved, ready-to-eat meals delivered straight to your door. You'll save time, eat well, and stay on track with your healthy lifestyle while tackling all your holiday to-dos. So head again, head to factormeals.com slash Victor50, use the code Victor50 to get 50% off. That's code Victor50 at factormeals.com slash Victor50 to get 50% off. And we thank Factor for sponsoring the Victor Davis Hansen show. So Victor, two headlines, you know, if it was uh, happened to Donald Trump or any fill in the blank Republican, the walls, as we've talked about before, the walls would be closing in, et cetera. Don't seem to be hearing that from MSNBC, CNN, or other news agencies, the walls closing in on Joe Biden. But here are just two headlines that are that are uh, quite troubling. One has to do with the, with the, um, uh, James Biden writing Joe a $40,000 check immediately after uh, the Chinese had given one of these Hunter slash James Biden um, um, entities a, a crap load of money. I think it was a couple million bucks. But, you know, soon enough, big guy got his 10%. So that's yeah, it was right on script, just like the laptop. Oh, I'm sorry, Jack. Just like the Russian disinformation <laughs> fake laptop <laughs> accused falsely John, uh, Joe Biden of of getting 10% of Chinese and other foreign nations transfers of money to the Biden family. And as Leon Panetta, our distinguished Californian who was a former Secretary of Defense, and recently asked if he wanted now to come forth and apologize that as one of the 51 signators of that accusation that it was likely Russian defamation, excuse me, has all the hallmarks of such that he now knows that it wasn't. And he misled the the country right before an election and a debate. And he said, well, they do it all the time. So he just said, Basically, I'm, I was lying, and I don't have any apologize because it, it worked. Sort I of saw like that Harry interview. Reed. Yeah, he, he was that? even laughing. It was with Brett Baer. It was disgraceful. Was, it was yeah. disgraceful. I debated him once at a Jim Costa congressional event up in near Yosemite. Jim Costa was your congressman. Democrat. Yes, he was our congressman at the time, a Democrat, and, and uh, I was on good terms with he was my he was my congressman. And he asked me to go to an event, and then uh, there was some comments about uh, would I say something, and uh, and then Leon Panetta would reply, or vice versa. And Leon Panetta was it was eerie prescient. It was just what he did this time. It was uh, he's I said something. Uh, he said something about 
we need unity. And it was about during the early Obama years, I think. We need unity. unity. It was coming out for the George Bush acrimony, which, by the way, came from the, the left. And we have to get along. And then I replied and sort of thing. And then he just started attacking me. And he started to attack George Bush and all these things. And it was just rank partisanship. And he had just given a little, you know, prep, you know, just a little uh, introduction about how he was a bipartisan and he worked with the other side of the aisle and we have too harsh rhetoric. And then he just unloaded. And I think at that point, my wife and I said, see, I wouldn't want to be you. We just left. <laughs> as soon as it was over, we took off. Yeah. But it's that's wow. his style. And he's beloved in Monterey by everybody from both sides of the aisle. But. Uh, that interview, I think, is an epitaph for his career. It really is. I mean, when you when you are confronted with the truth, and you understand that you were a party to a lie that ha- that may have influenced an election, and you can't even express any remorse, and yet you double down on it, then what do you what do you think? But that's the Biden family, and we said, I said, Sammy asked me uh, on another matter about the Bidens, and. I think we just say, Jack, from now on, everybody's listening. You call up the Social Security Administration. If you're on Social Security, you just say, would you please put loan repayment on that check? And you say to your employer, loan repayment. And then I don't have to pay income tax on it because it's a loan. Now, I don't have any record that there was a loan. And I have no intention of paying Jim Biden back. But it says loan right there on the little lower left-hand side of the check, loan repayment. It's not income, so I didn't report it. And this, everybody's known about this. And you know what? You, you get the impression that all of this stuff is now accessible, Jack, and it's building an overwhelming case, and you don't even have a Raskin and those guys coming out and defending them anymore. It's right there. 10% on the laptop, he got 10%. And what did the Bidens do to in, to earn it? They had no demonstrable skills or expertise. But the point is, why do we know? Why are they? Why are, are the Republicans able to access this information? They've been stonewalled for years. And the answer is, I think they feel that Joe Biden is expendable. And I think a lot of people in the Democratic Party say, "We you know what? That is terrible. What you're doing to Biden? We we got to end up this. Got to end the politics of personal destruction. It's just too much." Here's another doc- document you might find useful, because they want him out, and they they know that if he runs again, they're going to get Kamala Harris. Maybe not. They might get him in the next year and a half. Get her in the next year and a half. But they feel that if he runs again, he will not finish. There's no way in the world he will, and she'll be president and. It'll be worse than this. And they feel that they can get him out. And then they have an open primary and they say, Camilla, we really want you to run. Oh, you didn't get a delegate. Second time. Sorry. we Gavin got some delegates and you didn't. And then, you know, next time they appoint somebody by pre-selecting their gender and race, right. I think they'll be a little bit more careful. Well, Victor, the... Other headline, and these now seem to drop, you know, once a week, twice a week uh, of just yet another brick in the wall of of, of the this Corleone family uh, antics. Uh, the headline was from. Hey, uh, I've been watching the all three of them on uh, Direct TV this week, and that's an insult to the Corleone family. <laughs> 
Well, they're they're like they're they're a destructive people. The Bidens. I mean, we see that they don't care. I, I I know you said they're not going to let him run again, but I think his view is f you all. I'm going to do whatever I want. That's what he's done all along, and he's he ended up being president of the United States because of it. But here's the headline from the Daily Mail of uh, maybe today: Joe Biden's office allegedly helped coordinate Hunter Biden's China trips during vice presidency. Then Vice President Joe, blah, blah, blah. Let me just see this here. Donald Cloud, an advisor to then VP Biden, reached out to Hunter Biden's assistant, Katie Dodge, and su- suggested she communicate with the U.S. Embassy in Beijing to connect with then U.S. Ambassador to China, Max Baucus, about Hunter Biden's travels to China, according to an email released uh, uh, recently. So, I mean, dang, this guy was vice president uh, and he's helping his son with a hostile power. It would be fair to call China a hostile power. Um, here's how to navigate and and get some dough. And don't forget to give me 10% of it. So anyway, Victor, I, I think we'll see something like this again, ongoing every week, another email revelation, maybe some more from Tony Babalewski, who's now being, I think Hunter Biden wants to, wants him, prosecuted or something. Anyway, um, uh, everything is weaponized and they, everything has been weaponized. The CIA, the FBI, the DOJ, the IRS. We know that from the IRS whistleblowers. We know that from testimonies of the last four FBI directors. We know this particular treatment that was given confess liars under oath like McCabe and Brennan and Clapper. So it's all been weaponized. So when anything comes out that's detrimental to the left in power, there has to be a reason for it. And as I said earlier, he's expendable now. And when you see him uh, on the stage, I think all of us are starting to think that the real villain here is Jill Mm -hmm. Biden. Jill. Dr. Jill, because she knew this person was not able and to fulfill the responsibilities of presidency. And I think everybody who's listening, if you're a lawyer, would you allow Joe Biden to present a case for your firm? If you're a doctor and you had a doctor with former skills and he was at that level of cognitive awareness, would you let him operate? Jack, would you let me continue this podcast if I was at Joe Biden's level of cognitive ability? No. So he's president. And what that sends the nation is that the presidency is not that important a job because he's got it. And when you add all it's like a trifecta now, though, because the corruption is starting to, as the left says, uh, the walls are closing in and the bombshell disclosures are very frequent. And then we've got the record of the border and crime and foreign policy and economy and interest rates. And that's not uh, helpful to him. And then we've got the cognitive decline that he's not up for the job. So corruption, decline and an actual terrible record. And it's I looked at the real clear politics and it's down to 40 percent. And that means there's a lot of recent polls that are, you know, 38, 36, 38, 39. But I don't believe that's possible. I don't believe that people are looking at Biden and he's polling higher than George W. Bush was when he left office or and he's right about where Trump was. But I mean, compared to either one of them, he can't finish the sentence. 
And then you throw in the other liabilities. Do you really believe, Jack, that any person who goes to the Oval Office for any ceremonial function, any person to be sworn in at a sub-cabinet position, any prominent celebrity that's to highlighted his preference for Joe Biden, if they have a daughter under the age of 18 Mm -hmm. who is attractive or just young, or even six or seven, do they really believe that they will allow Joe Biden to come close to them and embrace her? I don't think so, because they know that he either will try to blow in their, their ears or he'll try to touch their hair or he'll do that very strange thing he did on the Finland tarmac where he kind of turkey gobbled the girl's neck, a yeah. tiny girl. So that's that's where we are right now. And the media knows it, and they have to deal with it. And I think the way they're going to deal with it is keep leaking these stories about the Biden corruption. I mean, if I was <laughs> – I don't like to get into it, but if you think about that family, it's toxic. It is toxic. When Hunter Biden takes pictures of him almost full front, frontally nude, does anybody know people who do that? I, I don't. And that laptop has those. Or then when you see these stories that Joe Biden swam nude and embarrassed deliberately, maybe Secret Service uh, female agents, and he didn't stop when he was told that that was offensive. Or then when you have Jim Biden taking funnel pictures of himself and they end up on gay web. What is it? What is it with his family's culture? I don't understand it. Kind of like they seem like they're out of some some uh, sit, not a sitcom but some mini series about one of these really in- internal the exhibitionist yeah. family. They're exhibitionists. They they <laughs> feel that they're narcissists. Yeah. It reminds me of LBJ. You know Robert Carroll's biography of you know defecating with the door open to embarrass people or pulling out his phallus to show how big it was or, and referring it to the big thing or it was just yeah. gross, gross. This family is gross, and it's very ironic because these are the same people who attacked Trump without mercy because he was crude. But I don't remember anybody saying that Trump did things like that. I don't. In while he was in office, especially, I know Stormy Daniels. It was pretty convincing that he'd had an, uh, a sexual encounter with her that was pretty gross, but. Um, my point well, is that these we, we've had people that had zero tolerance for this type of behavior with Trump. And he didn't come close to, you know, taking yeah. a picture and having it end up on a gay website like or his kids didn't. Mm-hmm. And he didn't come close to swim nude in front of the Secret Service. And Donald, Don Jr. Eric didn't have a laptop showing them, you know, fu- fully nude, snorting cocaine. And so I, I would just wish that this hypercriticism of the Trump family would extend to the Biden family, just for the point of fairness or symmetry. Yeah. Well, meet this. The Biden family is is where Me Too uh, came to die, it seems. So, hey, Victor, we have one more quick uh, topic to get to, and that's your old friend Tony Fauci. And we'll get to it right after this final important message. <laughs> Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. 
I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. We're back with the Victor Davis Hanson Show. Victor, we just have a few minutes and... uh... I don't know. I scratch my head about how how the CDC and Fauci has what they've done, not only what they did once the story broke about the news broke, the reality of COVID happened, but what they maybe have been doing all along. And here's a Daily Mail headline from the other day. And we're recording, by the way, on Saturday, November 4th. Headline is revealed. Anthony Fauci run lab in Montana experimented with coronavirus strain shipped in from Wuhan a year before COVID pandemic began. The subheads are the NIH infected 12 bats with a SARS-like coronavirus in 2018. It was shipped from Wuhan to a lab in Montana, where I, I, I don't know. And, you know, Victor, I thought all this gain of function crap was illegal, but here they are, like Dr. Frankenstein's playing with. I, I know it. Playing I, with things that it could, could destroy humanity. I, I didn't understand it because it was his testimony, sworn testimony to in those exchanges with Rand Paul that there was no gain of function ever going on, and he was not subsidizing it. And the amount of money or help that he had or connections with the Wuhan lab were incidental. And they were the product of Echo Health, Peter Dosick's relationship with the National Institute of Allergies and Infectious Diseases. And in other words, that Fauci didn't really know much. And those emails were misleading, were right up on the discovery of the COVID infection and the seriousness of it. He wanted to make sure that people didn't come to the erroneous conclusion that it was a gain in function, subsidized virus rather than a bat or a pangolin induced pathogen. So I don't know, Anthony, how can you testify? And then we found out that you prior to this were importing pathogens that were very dangerous from the Wuhan lab. So you must have had a connection with them that we were not fully appreciative of. And you were doing things with those pathogens that apparently were pretty dangerous because you wandered them out in Montana. And as someone who lives in rural America and might have at one point had a fleeting idea that when I go to Palo Alto, I don't like to be in the big city. And during COVID, I thought it would be nicer to be out in rural areas. And then I discover that actually our government either allows or promotes deadly pathogen research in places like Montana, 
or in my case, 12 miles away in Reedy, California, where somebody right under the nose of our officials opened up a Chinese bio lab and pathogens were found on, you know, in rats, uh, you know, genetically engineered rats were dead on the floor. Some were starving in cages and there were vials apparently of things like measles, HIV, you name it, and COVID in Reedley, California. And I think it's the old H.R. Hamilton or the one near that packing house I used to work at when I was in high school for a couple of weeks. So you can't escape. My point, Jack, is you cannot escape Tony Fauci. He's everywhere. It's not just his bubblehead little doll and his posters in his office that he collects are everywhere in popular culture. You can't just... You know, Saint everybody loved Saint Tony. They loved him, and he was idolized. But he's everywhere, and he was everywhere, and we didn't even know it. He's, I think, his middle name is Tony Gain of Function Fauci, and Rand Paul, you know, really had him to rights, and he got out of that. I don't know how he did it. He's going to have a rendezvous with truth, though, and it's not going to be pretty. And is is an octogenarian, and one would not want to end a long career with revelations that he was dishonest, untruthful in the matters of the collective health of his nation. But that's what's going to happen to him. Well, Victor, we're we're at the end of your wisdom sharing a few things that we do typically now at this point in the show. First of all, I, I would like to recommend to our listeners that they visit your website, The Blade of Perseus. The web address is victorhanson.com. There you can find links to Victor's various writings, American Greatness, Syndicated Column, archives of this show, his uh, other appearances on other radio shows and other podcasts. If you're on the home page of The Blade of Perseus, if you scroll down a little to the right, you'll see uh, the cover of the of Victor's forthcoming book. It'll be out next spring. It's called The End of Everything. How Wars Descend into Annihilation is your opportunity now to pre-order it. You can also find links to Victor's other books. I was just, you know, I had a, a four book contract with Basic and the idea was to do two on history. One was Second World Wars and the one was the end of everything about how war becomes annihilation. But I, and then I did the the case for Trump and I did the, um, Dying citizen, too non-historical, but some history, but mostly right. contemporary. But I did I, when I did this end of everything. Kind of wrote it during long COVID. I, I I thought, well, why am I doing this? It's it's about four case studies in the past and the relevance for the present. But no one believes that war anymore can be existential. Of course, that's the theme of the book. In the case of the Aztecs or classical city state of Thebes or Carthage or Constantinople, a whole society and culture. So it can be destroyed right. by a war. And how does that happen and how do you prevent it? And in the epilogue, I went through places like the Greeks that are very vulnerable or the Israelis, et cetera. But I, I, there was something that I thought, well, this won't, this won't be relevant or people won't want to read about this. And now when you hear what Hamas is saying and half the world's Jews or more than half, nine million, uh, ten, almost 10 are in Israel and there's people talking about wiping them out. And we saw what they wanted to do to all of Israel when they, what they did to a thousand of them. It, I think the book is going to be really relevant. Yeah. 
Right. By the way, Victor, on that, we, we maybe should talk about it on the next podcast, but I saw some tweet with a uh, depiction of Jewish communities throughout the world, say in 1950. And I mean, you talked before about Armenia and ethnic cleansing. There were prevalent um, non-tiny Jewish communities in many countries. They are gone, gone. They are. I mentioned that in a call the other day because I saw some a Palestinian megaphone saying there are all these refugees, 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 refugees from what is now Israel. And there are some people who fled and there were populations and that were displaced, but there were 900,000 Jews in places like Damascus and Amman and Cairo and Baghdad and Beirut. And in a series of those, every time Israel defeated their enemies, 47, 56, 67, 7, they ethnically cleansed portions, and now they're all gone. But they're not called refugees. They're just in Israel, or maybe in Europe, but most in Israel. There's no UN camp for refugees in Israel, any more than there is for the 13 million Germans who walked back from East Prussia. And nobody in Germany is saying, I'm dangling the keys of my grandfather to my old ancestral home in Danzig. And we had 500 acres of a royal estate out in Konigsberg. And nobody's saying that. They just say, no, I'm sorry, it's Kaliningrad. And you're never going to get it back. And that's the tragedy and the horrors of wars. But again, it's Israel is a special case. And the rules that apply to refugees or displaced persons do not apply to Israel. Well, Victor, again, um, just to summing up here, uh, close up about your website. I want to encourage our listeners, visit that site and you'll find Ultra articles that are classified as Ultra. And they are exclusive. Victor writes exclusively for the Blade of Perseus. You need to subscribe. You will want to subscribe. You should subscribe. Do subscribe. Five dollars gets you in the door, discounted annually at $50 for the full year. So that's victorhanson.com. Little old me, Jack Fowler, writes civil thoughts for the Center for Civil Society at Amphil, where we try to strengthen civil society. Civil Thoughts is a free weekly email newsletter that shares a dozen-plus recommended readings. Uh, here's a link. Here's an excerpt of, I think, important articles I've come across the previous week that I do believe you will uh, like, you will enjoy. Uh, wow, I didn't know this website even existed uh, uh, that that publishes such stuff. So anyway, it's gotten very good uh, um, uh, response from folks. Um, thank you for those who do subscribe. Go to civilthoughts.com to uh, do that. One final little Comment, Victor, off of uh, iTunes Apples from one of our the folks can go there. You, you, dear listener, can go to go to Apple and podcasts and rate the show zero to five stars. Leave comments. We read them here. I read them also on Victor's website. Very simple. We listen every week from Richard Fuego. Thank you so much for your top notch podcast. My husband and I have learned so much from you. We have listened, watched, and read you. Four years. That's a typical comment about from folks about their thoughts of the great Victor Davis Hanson, my friend, man, blessed to be his friend, blessed to do this. Thank you, Victor, for all the wisdom you shared today. Thank you, folks, for listening. And we will be back soon with another episode 
of the Victor Davis Hanson Show. Thank you, everybody, for listening. I much appreciate it again. 